Well, we have been studying uh, in the book of Acts recently and looking back 2,000 years ago to the start of the early church. And it's been interesting this week to look back to the start of this church 40 years ago and to see all of the challenges that they dealt with in the first couple of years uh, and and even after the the struggle to find a pastor, the struggle to find a place to meet, and the difficulties along the way, even between the services, people telling me about extra challenges that they faced along the way. And the, the people that started this church had to take some personal risks and to sacrifice some personal preferences and desires and time and energy and resources to make it happen. But they believed in what they were doing, and that's why we're all sitting here today. And you go back to the early church, and the same thing is true. 2,000 years ago, there were people who had to set aside some of their personal things and, their, and certainly their time and take risks to start something that they believed in, a mission that they believed was important and really mattered. And that is what we're going to talk about today in Acts chapter 16. So go ahead and open to Acts 16 in your Bibles. We're going to use that as a launching pad to get us into another book of the Bible that will help explain Acts 16 better for us. Acts 16, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 5. Luke writes to us, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. One of the interesting challenges that's brought up with regard to this passage is the fact that maybe it can't be the same Paul, because for the last few weeks, we have seen Paul rail against the idea of circumcision in the church. And that was a hot button issue at the time. And so we've just spent all this time seeing how Paul was seemingly against the idea of circumcision. And yet here he requires Timothy to be circumcised. What's up with that? How can that possibly be the same Paul? Is he being hypocritical here? Does he have a double standard of some kind? Maybe you know people like this in your life, the kind of rules for thee and not for me folks, where it's like, yeah, I want someone else to live by this. But then in my case, I get to be to, to not follow it. And some people are are like that. Is that what's going on with Paul here, where he has this double standard for some people and other people? Is he he just being a big hypocrite? Or is it really another, another Paul, as some have suggested? Let me just pause for a minute and acknowledge the fact that over the last few weeks, I have used the word circumcision in a public setting way more than I ever thought possible in my life. I just want to get that out there because it's weird and I know it. Why so much emphasis on, but that's what's in the text. And the reason it's in the text is because circumcision is representative of a bigger issue. Circumcision was the the key thing that indicated that you had decided you would follow the laws of Moses. So it's bigger than just the act itself. It's about, have I fully committed to follow these laws, indicating that I have the faith in the God that made these laws? That was the idea behind it. And so if you were an adult male and you were converting over to Judaism, you had a pretty big decision to make. Am I all in? You don't do this casually. We have a lot of people today who will casually take the name of Christ, but they're not all in. They will very casually say, I am a Christian. I go to such and such church a couple times a year, you know, that kind of thing. 
but are they really a genuine follower of Jesus? We don't have the same kind of litmus test that they had in the days of Judaism, where if you were all in, you had to prove it. And so that's why circumcision was such a big deal to them. It was that indicator of, no, you really are going to be a part of this community, be a part of this covenant, follow the laws of Moses. So it's not just about the circumcision. But either way, it still almost makes Paul come across like a hypocrite to see him go through these big experiences, these big showdowns. He had these two showdowns in Antioch, you know, with Peter and with Barnabas and, and with the other Jewish people from Judea that came in. And then he has this big showdown in Jerusalem uh, where the matter is decided there. But all of this is him against the idea of circumcision, it seems. And then here he's like, well, but now, Timothy, I want you to be circumcised. So what is going on here? This leads us to an important principle of Bible study that I hope you will memorize and take and use with you in your own reading of God's word because I have found it to be incredibly helpful for me. In fact, I've, I've found keeping this in mind to sort of unlock a, a depth of Bible study that I, that I didn't realize before I understood this principle. The principle is this, take extra care to notice what isn't there. Take extra care to notice what isn't there. And it's easy to remember because it rhymes. So it's a little catchy. Why? Because sometimes we bring assumptions into the text and we fill in gaps with things that aren't actually there in the text. And so we have to be even extra careful to ask the question, okay, is there something I'm assuming that isn't actually there? That I'm sort of reading into it. I'm, I'm filling in between, reading between the lines, something that may not actually be in the text. We do this a lot and we need to be careful about it because it does lead to some false assumptions and false conclusions about what God's word says. Now, we know from the last couple of weeks that Paul has certain things that he has communicated very clearly. Number one, don't tell Christians that God still wants them to follow the old covenant laws. We've seen that already. Number two, definitely don't tell anyone that you have to follow the old covenant rules to be a part of God's family, that the only way to be saved is to follow the old covenant laws. So both it's not required for Christians today just in general, and it's definitely not required for salvation. That's what Paul has actually been communicating. But what isn't there? What hasn't Paul said? Paul has never, ever said no one should ever be circumcised. Paul has never said I'm against the very concept of it. What he was against was mandating it and requiring it either, either as a good thing or as a salvation thing but he wasn't opposed to it. Paul never ever said, no one should follow the old laws anymore. He didn't say that. No one should continue on with these traditions that you're used to. He didn't say that either. He said, you can't force it on other people. That's an important distinction that you only catch when you're looking for what isn't there. And so many people have concluded from this passage something incorrect because they assume Paul said something that he didn't actually say. Paul recognized that the old covenant was all about faith, not works. And that even in the old covenant, it wasn't the act of circumcision or any of the other parts of the old covenant that saved you. It was the faith that was behind it. And what mattered so much to him was that people not misunderstand that those actions could somehow bring saving faith. But he was never anti-circumcision at all. So he wasn't really being hypocritical, but it still does leave us with this question of why. Why, why then would he actually want Timothy to go and get certain? In fact, the text says he arranged it. He made the phone call. 
and said, hey, do you have such and such a slot available? Yeah, I've got this friend of mine, Timothy, I'd like to get service. Really? Yeah. Paul arranged it. So Timothy, by the way, didn't have to go through with this. He wasn't forced to do this. Paul didn't force it on him. Timothy could have chosen to stay in Lystra and continue to have a great life and ministry there if he wanted to, but he clearly wanted to go with Paul on this journey and knew that this was Paul saying, hey, if you're gonna go with me, you need to get circumcised, but why? Why was this so important? Well, verse three gives us the start of an answer. If you look in your Bibles, verse three says, in deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. See, if everybody in the area knew of Timothy and knew that his father was a Greek, then they would know that with a Greek father, not a Jewish father, that this boy probably was not circumcised. That was a Jewish thing, not a Greek thing at all. And Paul was about to try to reach more Jewish people with the gospel and minister to Jewish believers that maybe didn't understand what the church in Jerusalem had already settled at this point. This means that Paul's gonna be in synagogues and he's gonna be in people's homes and have meals with them. And, and it's a very hospitable culture, generally speaking. So one of the main ways you're gonna have to get to know people and share Jesus with them is gonna be inviting, being invited in for a meal. And, but that's gonna create a problem if you've got Timothy, who generally people know is not circumcised. Jews and Gentiles had some friction on this. Because Jewish people didn't, Gentile people sometimes referred to Jewish people as dogs and didn't want them in their homes for that reason. Jewish people did not like the Gentile people and would not eat with them, would not go into their homes. And a couple of weeks ago, or a few, few weeks ago, I walked through why this was the case, why they wouldn't go into their homes, why they wouldn't eat with them. It's not exactly a command of the old law, but it, it, it stems from a command in the old law. And so you certainly had examples where this isn't the case, where they're very friendly with each other and they're not hostile per se. But even for the Jews that were friendly with Gentiles, they still would not want them in their home. They still would not want to eat with them. They certainly wouldn't want to go into the home of a Gentile. And so we have this problem where Timothy has this father who's a Greek, so everyone would know he's not circumcised. And so the Jewish people would have an issue with this and would not want him to come into their home. It's kind of weird. It's like circumcision for, for a, a man in the Jewish community. That was your membership card, basically. And unless you had that qualification, then it was assumed, well, you're not really following the law of Moses, so therefore I can't, I can't eat with you, I can't have you in my house. And we can imagine what it would have been like for Paul showing up if Timothy had not been circumcised, right? So they show up. And Paul's like, hey, how, how you doing? And oh, Paul, so good to see you again. You know, nice to see you too, Benjamin. And Benjamin's like, hey, why don't you come over for dinner tonight? And Paul's like, I'd love to. Can I bring my apprentice, Timothy, along? And Benjamin's like, whoa, wait a minute. I've heard of this kid. He's from Lister, right? He's the, he's the his, dad's a, his dad's a Greek. Yeah, this, this guy's well known. Um, he's, you know, he's like initiated, right? And Paul's like, no, he's not circumcised, if that's what you mean. And Benjamin's like, I'm sorry, but that's going to be a no for me, dog. I can't have him in my house if he's not circumcised. And at that point, Paul could go into, no, no, you don't understand. The church in Jerusalem just settled this issue. But that seems like a very convenient thing to bring up in that moment. And the bottom line is, what you could end up having is Jewish people or Jewish believers feeling like, Paul is trying to sneak an uncircumcised Gentile into their home. 
and therefore maybe run the risk of somehow defiling them. It would be offensive to them. And so that was the issue that Paul was trying to avoid here. That was his surface level motivation. His surface level motivation was, hey, there's people around that know that his father was a Greek. They're going to know that he's not circumcised. And so they're going to wonder before he comes over for dinner, hey, has he really done all the things? And we can't answer with integrity, yes, he has, unless we do this one thing. And so that was the surface level motivation. But there's more to it than that. Because you could still think, well, Paul, really? Just so you can go have dinner with these people? Just so you can avoid an awkward conversation? Just so you can say, yes, he did all the things, check the boxes. Yes, he is good Jewish, half Jewish, but now fully Jewish boy. Like, really? You're going to make him go through that? Just so you can do that? There's got to be something deeper underneath the surface. And of course there is. If we look further, there's a deeper motivation, a deeper reason for why Paul is doing what he's doing. I shared this a few years ago, but I want to share it with you again. This is the iceberg of our motivations. And the iceberg has our actions, which are those things that we say and do. It has our emotions, which are the things that we feel. It has our thoughts, the things that we think about, the things that we dwell about, uh, upon. And then it has our core beliefs and our hurts. And this is sort of the iceberg, the path that things take. And a lot of times what we see is the actions, what we perceive is the emotions. And we often don't even think about the deeper thoughts and even deeper, the beliefs and the hurts that might be driving someone underneath the surface. This is what a lot of counseling is about, is trying to identify underneath what we see and underneath what we feel, what is underneath that, our thoughts and really our beliefs, what are, what are the beliefs that we have that may be wrong about the world, about ourselves, about other people? What are the hurts that we've experienced that we need to unpack and understand how they're impacting the way we're treating other people today? Maybe our behaviors at the surface level are being driven something deep that we don't even understand. And so counselors try to help you understand, okay, where is this coming from? Because there's a path there, and maybe if we can identify it, we can interrupt that path where it veers off into unhealthy land, and we can make some changes there. Paul actually talks about this in Philippians chapter 4. He talks about all four aspects of this. He says, be considerate in all that you do. That's your actions. He says, always be joyful. That's your emotions, or it's a part of emotion. He, he talks about, think about whatever is pure and holy and just and, and noble. He's talking about your thoughts and your beliefs there, what you believe to be true and, and making sure what you think about is of good report. And then he even talks about taking your worries and turning those into prayer requests and giving them over to God and not worrying about them anymore. And that has a lot to do with our hurts. That touches on that aspect of hurts and the things that we're concerned, worried about because we've been burned in the past. And he says to turn those into prayer requests. So Paul acknowledges all aspects of this iceberg and everybody has an iceberg in their life. And a lot of times you don't even realize what's driving you unless you've taken time to think about it and talk about it with someone. And a lot of times you don't understand what's driving someone else's actions unless you take the time to get to know them and talk with them. And so Paul has an iceberg too. And what we have seen are Paul's actions. We've seen, we can, we can sort of um, imply what his emotions were in all of this and not wanting to have this awkward conversation and wanting to make sure that everybody was okay and happy with what was going on with his ministry with Timothy. And we can even see his thoughts, his thought process of how, you know, these people are going to know that Timothy's father was a Greek and, and they're going to be uncomfortable if we come to them and we haven't taken care of this one issue. But I want to get down to the, the bottom layer 
I want to get down to the core beliefs. What did Paul believe that was driving him to do this? And to do that, we need to go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking here, and here's what he says. And see if you can pick up on all the beliefs that are in here. I'm going to give you four of them in a little bit. He says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So now we get down to the bottom of Paul's iceberg. What are the core beliefs that are driving his actions? What is leading him to make this seemingly shift to say, no, now, Timothy, I want you to be circumcised, even though I've said all these other people didn't have to. How can we understand this and make sense of this? He has core beliefs that are driving his actions here. Belief number one, believers have freedom from the law of Moses. Now, we've talked about this a lot already. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it here. You can go back and watch the last few weeks of messages if you've missed any of those to to get more information on that. But we see it here again, where he says he's not subject to the law. And when he's with the Gentiles, he doesn't follow the law. And of course, he's talking about the law of Moses there because he later acknowledges, I still follow the law of Christ. I obey the law of Christ. That's how I follow the law of God. We've had a lot of conversation about this the last few weeks, not just in the services, but in emails back and forth and with people out here in the hallways asking more questions about this because the the way I'm talking about the law is is new for them to hear. And so I I just want to clarify again what I am saying here, which is that the old law of Moses, Paul says over and over again, I'm not bound to that anymore. I don't have to follow that anymore, but I obey the law of Christ. And then there's this law of God thing. So what's going on there? God has the way he designed this world to work best and the the kind of morality that he has built into it, which is based on his character. It comes from his character. And that's what we could describe describe as God's law. The old covenant, the Mosaic law, was an application of God's law at that time to the Israelite people. It applied it, but it didn't apply it exactly how God would want it in a perfect world. It applied it with an understanding of the brokenness of humanity and the culture of the time. And that's why you will find laws in that old covenant that many people who are not Christians will point to and say, this just seems so out of touch. And it's like, yeah, it is 2,500 years later out of touch. But for that time and that culture, it's exactly what they needed to move them in the right direction towards what God wanted. There are allowances for things in the old covenant that God doesn't necessarily want in a perfect world, but made allowances for because of the brokenness of the world at the time. And even Jesus acknowledges that specifically with the issue of divorce. We see the same thing then with the new covenant. Now a new covenant has come along and Paul says, I don't follow the old law, but I do follow the law of Christ. And and that is the next point here. Believers are still bound by the law of Christ. That's his second belief. So belief number one, believers have freedom from the law of Moses, but belief number two, believers are still bound by the law of Christ. 
What is that law of Christ? It is the new covenant that Jesus brought. God makes a new covenant with people. He said he would in Jeremiah, and now it's here. With Jesus coming and his death and his resurrection, it makes possible this new covenant where we look back to a savior that died for us instead of looking forward to some mysterious future with a Messiah that we don't fully understand in the old covenant. Now we look back and there's an updated covenant, an updated contract that Jesus taught. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he's introducing this new covenant idea. And throughout his teaching, he's saying things like, you've heard it said this, but I say this. He's updating a new commandment I give you. He's updating the contract and saying, yeah, yeah, the old covenant had lots of do's and don'ts, but I'm telling you, it's about your heart and your motivation and your thoughts too, man. You think that murder is bad? If you hate someone in your heart, it's as if you've murdered them. You think that adultery is bad? If you lust in your heart and your mind, it's as if you have actually committed adultery with that person. Jesus raised the bar on a lot of things that were part of God's law that got applied in the old covenant and applied in the new covenant. And then there are those things that were very specific for that time. Things that Jesus and the Apostle Paul especially make abundantly clear, this part of it didn't carry over into the new covenant. And there are lots of specific examples I've given recently, so I won't go into more detail about that. But so far up to this point, these two beliefs, these are not new for us. If you've been with us the last month or so, we've talked about these at length. Here's where it gets interesting. Belief number three, sacrificing personal freedoms is worth it to accomplish the mission. This is where we start to understand Paul's motivation for why he would say, Timothy, I think you need to go ahead and get circumcised. It's because sacrificing personal freedoms is worth it to accomplish the mission. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 9 is not that he's now free to do whatever he wants. It's not that, the, that any kind of law or rules are just gone completely. That's not it at all. It's that he's free from the law of Moses, but he will still follow it sometimes if it helps to accomplish the mission. He will give up some of those freedoms that he has. He may have a right to not do certain things and a right to do certain things. Think about it. By this time, Paul had developed a taste for bacon. He said, when I'm with the Gentiles, I live like a Gentile. I don't follow the law of Moses. I mean, I can't think of any bigger example. That day when he finally tasted bacon and went, oh my word. This is what we've been missing. Wow, what a test of faith. And then he goes into a Jewish community and he's like, I have to give it up. I have to give it up for a couple months while I'm with these people. I'm not gonna eat bacon, not gonna eat shellfish. I'm gonna make sure I wear clothes that are only made of one kind of fabric. I'm gonna do all these different things to make sure that I'm not doing anything that might offend them because my message is so important. My mission is so important that it matters more than my personal freedoms my personal desires, my personal preferences, I'm willing to give those things up and sacrifice them because of the mission. He said in verse 23, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Everything to share the good news and share in its blessings. That means he's willing to give up a lot, a lot of good things that he can do. I remember when I was in high school and I played basketball and towards the end of the season one year, I tore my ACL in half, uh, which was a miserable experience and ended up taking two surgeries to repair it, which meant that my downtime was even longer than you'd normally have for an ACL repair. And so I, I had quite a while for my muscles to kind of atrophy and then 
you know, the therapy afterward was even harder because of that. And I had a choice to make. Am I going to come back and try to get on the team again and play basketball again? Or am I just going to say, that's it, I'm done. And I decided that it was worth it to me to try to get back on the team and play basketball again. And so I had to work three, four times as hard as I did before. I had to do all the physical therapy, but I couldn't just do the physical therapy. I had to go beyond that. I had to go do extra research and how to, how to condition myself and, and get stronger and faster and build back to where I was before, but maybe even hopefully better than where I was before. And I had to research how to develop fast twitch muscle fibers and, and get, get conditioned, not just so that I could do you know, sort of normal running things again, but get my vertical up again and, and come back and be able to play again. And in a part of doing that, I had to give up a lot of other things that I would have loved to do. Each and every day, there were things I would rather be doing instead of going out and doing conditioning and practice. But because of the mission that I had, it was worth it to me to give up those other things for that day because I had something better waiting for me in the future. And I believed in it. It was a core belief that I had. It is worth it to get back and play basketball. And so I'm going to give up these things for that later. You know, I think that's one of the problems that we face in our culture today. It's just a lack of understanding and appreciating delayed gratification. Everything is instant. Everything is now. We live in a microwave society. It's amazing to me that now, well, I used to think two-day shipping was unbelievable. Like, how do they even do that? And the other day, I'm looking, just this week, I, I wanted to purchase something, and I could find it at a variety of stores, and then I checked a, a certain store, and they said they could have it delivered in the next three hours. Can you believe that? Like at my door, someone's just going to drive it over. I mean, you've seen on 44 all those buildings going up so that the entire contents of the world stores is available to you just a short drive away and you don't have to make the drive. Now you go grocery shopping and they just bring it out to your car. You don't have to go in. You don't have to get out. It's amazing. I love it at the same time. I think we are a, a culture of people that has become so dependent on convenience, on having it brought to me, on having it now. I don't want to wait for anything. And so we're losing this ability to have patience, this understanding that maybe we need to sacrifice now for something better later. We know there's a problem with people entering the workforce and feeling like they need to get promoted right away and they need to get authority right away and they need to get extra things right away and, and rise through the ranks really, really quickly. And, it's, and the, the whole idea of, hey, this might take some time. You've got to kind of put in your dues and you've got to work toward this. And it's actually better for you that way because you're going to learn endurance and you're going to learn a lot of skills that you need later on. Those concepts seem to be more and more lost in our culture today because we want everything now. But things that are worth it are often worth waiting for. And things that are worth it are often worth sacrificing for. And so you have to be willing, Paul was willing, to sacrifice personally his time, his comfort, and some of the freedoms he had come to enjoy not being under the old covenant anymore in order to accomplish his mission because it was that much more important to him. I want to ask you for a minute here because I'll bet you can come up with some things that are worth sacrificing for something better. What are some things that you would say, this is something people would sacrifice? Maybe something you've personally sacrificed. Maybe someone else. Maybe someone, something you think someone else in the room should sacrifice. I don't know. We don't, you don't have to point. What are some things that we would sacrifice for something better? Any ideas? 
Ice cream. That's a sacrifice. What else? Driving in a car. Sacrifice that. Fried chicken. That's, that's a tough one. I think that's Isaac back there. Yeah, that's hard, buddy. What else? Money, yeah, sacrificing money. Time, absolutely. TV, yeah. Sleep, especially if you've got like a newborn baby, you sacrifice your sleep for that baby, but it's worth it. The mission is worth it. Bacon, yep. We cannot have that mentioned too many times in the service. That's My goal eventually is to have one Sunday where I mention bacon more times than I mention circumcision. We'll get there. We'll get there. Maybe not an axe, but we'll get there. What else? Sorry? Friends? Okay, especially if those friends are not a positive influence on us, but they may be fun to sacrifice that. And there was one more over here. Cell phones. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that's constantly attached to us. There are lots of things that are worth sacrificing for something better. Paul had an incredible better that was worth sacrificing for, and that is belief number four. The greatest mission is to spread the good news about Jesus and bring many people to Christ. This is what it was all about for him. This was that core belief that drove everything else in his life. It's why he was willing to say, I will give up these freedoms that I've come to enjoy. It's why he was willing to say, I will do things that I don't actually have to do anymore. It's why he was willing to say to Timothy, Timothy, I think you need to do this, even though I don't think you technically need to do this. Because of the mission that was worth the sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. You know, history is full of people who have died for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. History is full of amazing stories of people who have given their lives um, in, in pursuit of sharing the gospel with people. Some who have, who have gone to people who did not welcome them and actually killed them because they wanted to bring them the good news of Jesus. People who were martyrs, people who stood up for their faith and stood up for their beliefs and stood up for Jesus and, and some government or some authority came in and killed them because of it. And those, those stories are amazing and, and fascinating and interesting, but you know what seems equally hard as giving up your life for the sake of the good news about Jesus is just living your life for the sake of the good news about Jesus. It's making the decision every single day to say, I'm going to personally sacrifice something to make sure that the gospel of Jesus is a priority in my life and is communicated to other people. That's hard. That's really, really hard. It's particularly hard in our context, in a Western context, where we are so comfortable. We have so much taken care of for us. I mean, compared to so many parts of the world, we are incredibly richly blessed and we have so many resources and so many opportunities. And so it's, it's, I think, sometimes harder for us to see here, what is a sacrifice? What does it look like to hurt a little bit for something that I believe in? Because life, while it is not easy, it certainly doesn't feel like we are constantly pressed by a persecution that demands of us an obvious sacrifice for our faith. It's less obvious. It's more subtle. And I wonder what it would look like if each one of us were to say to God, 
Lord, I, I want to actually sacrifice for this. I know that you value that. Where can I give up of my time, my resources, my energy? Of where, where can I do something I don't normally want to do so that I can reach someone who is far from you? Where can I give up something that maybe I enjoy, but for the sake of reaching someone else that doesn't like whatever that thing is that I do? And we have this mindset that we have freedoms, we have rights, we have liberty. The Constitution says it. I can do this. I can do what I want to do. And yet the Bible, it seems to me, often says, hey, there are times where you need to give up those rights because the mission is so much more important. And sharing the good news about Jesus is so much more important than your personal preferences, your personal freedoms, even your rights. And that's not to say you throw the rights away. Paul didn't do that. Paul said, when I'm with these people, I live this way. When I'm with these people, I live this way. It's not that I get rid of my freedoms or my rights, not at all. It's not that I let someone take them away from me. It's that when I can reach people with the gospel by, by putting on the shelf some of my freedoms or my preferences, then I'm going to do that. And so I'm going to hold off on the bacon. I'm going to wear this kind of clothing. And I'm going to do these different things. I'm going to honor the Sabbath. And I'm going to do the things that I used to do, even though I know I'm no longer bound by them, because the mission is so important. I want to reach people with the gospel. I think that is much more murky for you and me today than it is for people in some different contexts around the world. And then it probably was for the early church. It was a little more clear of a line, I think, for them. We may be getting to a point in this country in the future where it does become clearer again. I don't know, and I don't know how soon. But I do want to leave you with three questions to challenge you to think about these thoughts and apply them to your own life. The first question is, what are your core beliefs that are driving your mission in life? Do you have kind of a mission? What are you trying to pursue? Is that mission just for you? Is it just about your career? Just about your relationships? Just about your happiness? Just about your pleasure? Or is that mission about something bigger? But do you have core beliefs that are driving your mission in life? Number two, what preferences or comforts are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of that mission? Are there some things that you can identify right now or maybe God will reveal to you this week as you think about the message later on? Some things that he's calling you to give up or to do that maybe are not a preference for you but you're willing to do for the sake of that mission. And question number three, how involved are you right now in spreading the good news about Jesus? You know, there may be things that your neighbor does that really annoys you that you have to overlook so that you can have a good relationship with them so that you can share your faith with them. There may be certain things that other people at work want you to do that are really annoying and you can make a big stink about it. And, you know, maybe, you know, I'm not, I can't read into that situation, but you'll have to use your judgment to decide and pray with the Holy Spirit and go, you know what, God, is this something you want me to do because it's going to help this relationship with this person so that I can introduce them to you ultimately all for the sake of the gospel that's what Paul said all things to all people so that by all means I might save some I'll do whatever I can sacrifice whatever I need to and it, as long as it's not sinning obviously in order to reach people because that was his mission that was his core belief so why did Timothy need to get circumcised well because Paul wanted to make sure that there was no barrier when they went into these Jewish communities to sharing the good news about Jesus and even though he didn't have to follow the old law, this was a sacrifice that Paul and Timothy were willing to make 
for the sake of reaching people with the good news about Jesus. What sacrifices are you making in your life today? In fact, maybe this is something you need to pray about today and say, God, I need to be stretched. I need to sacrifice for the mission. I need to have a new understanding of your mission in my life and what that means to me. I need to get outside of my comfort zone. I need to sacrifice my comfort, maybe by having an awkward conversation or a conversation that I think will be awkward. I need to sacrifice my resources by making sure that I'm contributing to things that are advancing your kingdom. But how are you sacrificing for the sake of that mission of reaching people with the gospel? Let's all bow our heads in prayer right now, if you would. Jesus, you came so that we can have freedom, so that we can have forgiveness, so that we can have new life with you. And for those of us here in this room and watched online who have experienced that, it's a wonderful thing. It gives us hope. It's gotten me through many a difficult time. And I know that would be echoed throughout this room, Lord. But I wonder if we really have the same kind of zeal to share that with other people and to be willing to sacrifice personal comforts and personal resources and even personal freedoms at times where it's appropriate in order to share the good news with other people and to be a testimony of faith for you. God, I pray that you would help us to be those people. I pray that we'd walk out of here and and this week have opportunities to be stretched and to grow and to make personal sacrifices that if they hurt a little bit, maybe we even see it as a good thing. Like the, the widow that gave the two coins that was all that she had. And Jesus said, she's giving more than those men who gave of their abundance and of their wealth. Why? Because it hurt. It was a sacrifice, but it was for a mission that was so good. We know that having that mission and sacrificing for that mission brings such satisfaction and joy into our lives eventually. And so I pray that blessing for everybody who's here, everybody who's hearing this message, Lord, that we would have the joy of sacrificing for you, of of participating with you in suffering in that way so that it can contribute to your kingdom, so that you can grow us, so that you can use us to minister and impact people through that sacrifice. We pray all this in Jesus' name.